0: Hey, so I want to talk about uh, my favorite books, um, not including my amazing book, which you should definitely read, Man's Best Friend. Uh, no, I um, do read a lot. Uh, didn't read too much all my life. Uh, I think, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I studied the sciences, so outside of homework um, assigned readings, there wasn't that much for time for pleasure reading. I might have read like one book a year. Um, but when I did decide to pursue writing, uh, it seemed obvious that the best way to, uh, to hone my skill set would be to, uh, read the classics, right? Read the greats. So, uh, I, um, just bought a bunch of books, I think, that I had been meaning to read. You hear about, um, the big names, uh, just sifting through them without any expectations just to see which ones, um you know, I gravitated towards, which ones I thought I could uh, learn things from, um, and um, I do have a list of my favorite books, but I'm going to break from the list a bit to talk about number two, which is, should be number one, really, it is my favorite book, it's just not the most uh, impactful book, but it was um, Don Quixote, it was my strong number two, and um, funniest book, um, I think I've ever read. Um, it breaks up into such amusing stories that is, uh, such a pleasure to read. I mean, you think of, uh, you you pick up a book, it's a thousand pages long, uh, with as hefty a reputation as Don Quixote. And you think, um, you you expect it to be, uh, a bit of a chore, but it was surprisingly, funny from the preface uh, the first line of the preface first paragraph of the preface immediately hooked me where he's apologizing in advance uh for the quality of the book Uh, he's insecure about it um talking about how he would want it to be um the best book uh ever written but uh that it would end up it's ended up reading like something that uh Somebody would have written in a noisy prison, uh, I believe is what he said. It's just in, in, uh, <clears throat> it did set me off uh, because I was so fascinated by the period, um, uh, late fifteenth century, late sixteenth century, early seventeenth century, uh, uh, Spain uh, during the waning period. Uh, yeah, during the golden era and the waning end of it, during which uh, Don Quixote is written, because it is a surprisingly grim, dark book. Um, um, uh, and it's the, at least its depiction of the, uh, society uh, that Don Quixote is in, right? Uh, and, um, the, yeah, I, I was gravitating, I had to learn more about it, right? Uh, for, uh, you read, of course, more of, um, uh, his, uh, Cervantes' uh, short stories, like his exemplary tales, and there was one picaresque novel, a novella I forget the name off the top of my head, R- R- Conte or something like, that, and something. It was two people. Um, I believe it was in the t- title, one of the names starts with the R, um, uh, <laughs> and um, it was an uh, introduction to the Picaresque novel, uh, Picaresque uh, format uh, genre, which I think is my favorite uh, type of because my favorite type of movie is a crime comedy. And this effectively is the crime comedy of uh, the novel form, right? Uh, it was uh, it emerged in uh, that period of Spain we talked about uh, at the time when um, either, at the time there. Uh, I think there are a lot of parallels to today, at least in uh, North America, North America, where um, you see um, the um, and this is depicted in uh, Don Quixote, like the. Uh, Devastation of the uh, rural regions, Uh, La Mancha was uh, the plains where uh, Don Quixote is from. Uh, The destitute uh, nature of that uh, doesn't tie it into the overall like uh, and historical and uh, economic factors, right? Like the inflation uh, from the import of uh, gold and silver from the New World uh, had like a devastating impact on. uh, the Spanish farmer, in in, yeah, the uh, landlocked uh, person from the plains, and a lot of them had to uh, seek work um, in the booming uh, port cities of, like, Seville, Um, and um, they would uh, go to, um, yeah, they would go to get work, but because there was a tremendous amount of income inequality and not much work and uh, all of the, yeah, a lot of competition, like a reserve army of labor, a lot of them had to uh, resort to petty crimes to get by. And the precarious novel is uh, written about their exploits, the things that these uh, hard uh, kids with hard luck have to do to kind of cut it it is usually the written by you have to think of the time that a person who was able to write read and write would never have faced the economic conditions that uh that people in the books um experience and um a lot of the authors write in a tone that is just condescending and mocking of the poor right it's to be expected uh but there's uh the most of the ones that stand up today don't suffer from that if you were to google uh picaresque novels uh and read a bunch um i don't think you would be too off put by the treatment of the poor in them i think you'd just be more amused uh you might be disgusted by the uh, societies that are, they're in but not not necessarily the authors in the books themselves uh number one book um was uh the divine comedy <laughs> uh, the reason i put it as number one is just because uh, the uh i think it's a kind of time uh, book that had a uh, emotional uh benefits right therapeutic benefits almost right i i, I talked about an earlier podcast um uh, the podcast about uh the death right i believe um in which i uh <laughs> stumbled over um an attempt to quote um Yeah, the first canto. The the quote I think I I did okay with, but it was just a summary of the context of that quote was a a bit muddled, I I think. But I I brought it up to point out that it did kind of trigger... I believe the book kind of guides you through the process of prolonged exposure therapy, at the very least the inferno. Um, So even though I don't um, agree with much of Dante's overall philosophy, I think the form that the book takes is very helpful, and it's very beneficial to read. I think the kind of, it's clearer once, it's clearer to people who have undergone um, immense trauma, what exactly the emotions he's describing are. Um, I I think, I remember um, reading uh, Pierre by Herman Melville, um, and the Main character Pierre uh, um, read the Divine Comedy at a young age, and he just didn't get it and didn't appreciate it. And um, <clears throat> it was because he had not suffered enough and not undergone enough hardship, but not ex- had enough. Matu- yeah, not matured enough, not been tempered enough by the world. I guess to uh, to appreciate the Divine Comedy, Dante just went over him. And um, it's almost like a, like a roller coaster ride where you have to be like this fucked up to ride. it But it did, it does uh, again, like prolonged exposure therapy involves uh, thinking about uh, otherwise repressed memories for gradually increasing amount of times and uh, yeah length of time and uh, with uh, increasing depth. Um, so it would become, more horrifying as you get deeper into it uh, but um, once you get through it um, you will have like neutralized the uh, the to, to somewhat the effect that the thought of the memory and the uh, has on you it will have been uh, compartmentalized It will have uh, dealt with it and I feel like uh, the structure of the Divine Comedy, like the Inferno going to deeper circles of hell contemplation of increasingly horrible, uh, horrific uh, facets of uh, the human condition or whatever you want to say. I don't want to sound too pretentious, but it's um, it does parallel very well the process of uh, prolonged exposure therapy. And I just noticed after reading the book and uh, because what happens is you put it down uh, over and over again and you Begin, you get sent on tangents. It's impossible to not be sent off uh tangents of memory, and like uh, you begin to process horrific things, uh, or, uh, things that you otherwise would not have think, thought of just because of the parallels created by the uh, yeah, it, it parallels in the, the comedy, uh, the divine comedy. It just is very evocative. Some of the Homeric similes. The epic similes that he uses—it's uh, a form that I usually am annoyed by—but he nails it, and they're so cathartic to read that if you had experienced deep trauma, then you would just kind of choke up. I think it's—it's uh, it's, oh, you're disarmed by how well he describes the, the emotion that even if his prescription for it isn't. Um, that good, right? Even if you don't want to become closer to Jesus and uh, Beatrice, <clears throat> you, um, yeah, you, you at very least, um, kind of. It brings up the harsh emotion with a, like a couple of degrees of detachment enough to allow for extended uh, thought, whereas direct processing of the memory might be too much for a person at the time. I think the same function is played. Uh, by Homer's um, epics, a lot of the older epics. Uh, Think about um, the traumatic imagery, violent imagery of um, the Iliad. must have been cathartic uh, for many veterans, uh, which would have been Homer's audience, right? Uh, Veterans of warfare uh, who will have been living with the memories of similar things either happening to them or their friends or uh and all uh, right if you saw your friend get a bronze spear in the back of his head and you've been living with that memory uh, f- uh for for decades no way to communicate it with anybody and then that dip- yeah that action is depicted um it well, I could Im- I could see like a bunch of old Greek guys in t- <laughs> in robes, crying while listening to Homer uh, describe these uh, horrific things Just because that's um, yeah, a prolonged exposure therapy, I think it plays the same role. Um, Dante's better because it's uh, allegorical and more general, laws. you can apply it to anything. <clears throat> it doesn't matter what fucked you up, you could uh, I think benefit, uh, from reading mm-hmm. The Divine Comedy. So it's number one. It's just not as fun to read as, uh, uh, um, the Don Quixote, right? I believe, like, I've read it more than I've read any other book. I've read, like, I have sections of, uh, The Divine Comedy just, like, ascribed to memory now just because of how frequently I've read it, but, um, at least the first parts of it, uh, the parts that I resonate with me just because it's like a, a good um i feel like uh and this is something i kind of do more and more i didn't realize i, I did it until uh a while ago is just I like kind of use lit um verses of poems especially whether or not they're epic or not i just um lines that kind of reverberate in my head they just function almost as uh um focal points for meditation right where you just want to detach from something and then you you just kind of folk float yeah you just float to the contemplation of the book and um the divine comedy that happens a lot like i will have um parts of it just floating in my head on a bad day i think i can tell if it's a bad day when i i begin to remember excerpts of uh Parallels, I see parallels to uh, the Inferno. I did, uh, as a bit of a joke, I did put uh, the Divine Comedy in my book. Um, uh, the main character reads it <clears throat> while undergoing his nervous breakdown, and I thought it would just be funny to just kind of have him go crazy over analyzing the book that I've uh, overanalyzed. Uh, more for many an hour uh had the image of a guy just drinking uh wine and reading the divine comedy and slowly driving himself nuts with the um the conclusions he's drawing um from it uh kind of cracked me up uh so i I did include it as a book it's one uh, the one of a few parallels uh i kind of put between uh myself and the the dog fucker uh even though he yeah, had it doesn't actually fuck dogs in the book it's, uh, it's what i call them. one of the parallels i a place between us is that that love of the divine comedy um uh, that appreciation for dante um number three would be catch 22 um i i had read it after a few years after my dad's passing so um the structure of the book where you kind of box back and forth uh uh between uh times uh right uh gravitating around this central moment uh with um vi- two very different tones in the times before and after and it just immediately clicked oh well, these people are just as fucked up as my family <laughs> it felt like um uh, that they had experienced the same similar trauma um i don't know what fucked them up until you know so you have to keep on reading um right but it was exciting almost to see and interesting for me because the book is very funny Uh, i would have read it recommend it just for the humor but as a person who was like deeply traumatized going into reading it without expecting and no i'd never go into books with any expectations i try never to read anything about it never to have any conversations with people about the books before i read it don't want anything to color my perception of it and i did not expect to see such a like a great encapsulation of the like the differing impacts that uh, trauma can have on uh, yeah the way uh, certain personalities different archetypes almost respond to a similar event is like some people go yeah you could see it it was very interesting to see the way he described the range of reactions the psychological reactions to it Um, and um, going closer to the end of the book Uh, When I got to the event, it was um, uh, the traumatizing event of the book. Um, It was the first time I read anything that had brought my mind to my father's death. uh, Because the end, when he's holding his uh, friend, uh, who's had his innards ripped open with flack, um, it was many of the same contemplations I had the last day uh of my dad's life, uh, sitting beside his bed and, like, trying to hold his eyes closed while his tongue was hanging out of his mouth. It was, uh, yeah, it was very moving, very cathartic. Uh, he cried a lot when I read that, uh, because it was the first, like, I hadn't, the memories were, uh, so traumatized. It was maybe two, three years after um, uh, the death that I'd read the book, uh, never contemplated at length until, really until that brought it up, and, uh, I'll never forget that book for that, um, uh, so it was very funny, um, but it was the first book that, you know, benefited me emotionally, right, the first therapeutic book, um, cathartic book I've ever, yeah, really read, um, Next one is Pale Fire. Um, not the Vladimir Nabokov book you might have expected to be on my list. You might have thought it would be Lolita because of uh, the nature of my book, right? Of um, I had a friend, I have a friend, uh, who had a dog named Lola. And uh, she was kind of upset that I didn't name the dog in the book after her. But I couldn't because everybody would have thought I was ripping off Lolita more than... I already am, uh, but Pale Fire is my favorite book by him. Um, Pale Fire is don't want to give too much of it away. Spoiling every book I talk about here, but uh, the basic structure of Pale Fire is that it's a book in two parts. The first part is a epic poem in uh, four parts, um, written by a fake author, a fake poet, and um, the second part of the book is a commentary uh, which is in footnotes and takes on a narrative of its own is all I'll say uh, I don't want to spoil this book it's fucking hilarious uh, it's the only one I don't really want to spoil on uh, uh, this one um in this uh it's just um nabokov is a genius the guy's like mind is uh, like a nuclear submarine I think uh in the way that he can like Contemplate the psychology of the insane and the warped, and depict it so accurately. I mean, I think that if I had to think about, if I had to reside in the minds of uh, one of Nabokov's characters long enough to write a book, uh, one of his books, I think I would have gone crazy uh, before I completed the book. I think most people would have, right? It's just impressive to me that he's able to think about this fucked up shit for as long as he is. and uh, his books gave me permission, almost, to write my my book. It wasn't that I was directly inspired by Lolita. Let me try to do a version of Lilita by Da. It just that uh, he gave he, he gives me creative license in a way that no other author does. I look up to. He's almost my artistic hero, Nabokov. Um, probably my favorite author. I think maybe I'll talk a bit about favorite authors, um, because there are some who don't have any books uh, that are in my top, but um, any individual books, but who are like immeasurable greats, uh, who I revere. Like uh, Henry James um, is probably my favorite author. Um, He, well, other than Nabokov. Him and Nabokov are uh, close one and two. Um, I had, um, in, in my book, I, my narrator is a very pompous, arrogant person. Um, I, so it seemed to me that he would present his thoughts in a very flowery roundabout way. Um, it, yeah, he would try to be making himself look smart, even in, uh, something as intimate as, uh, the telling of this story, right? Um, uh, his, uh. His mental breakdown. Even that, he'll try to frame in the most flowery way. And uh, because I had read so much Henry James, it was kind of easy for me to write in that style, that rambling style. I that's what I tried to do: is just emulate, if I could, in any way, uh, the Jamesian style. And uh, a friend of mine, she read um, when she was she read my manuscript. First person, I sent it to after. Uh, the editors and um, Before I was the in the first wave of uh, after I had first applied some of the uh, editor's notes I Gave it to her to get some of hers. I believe it was a sequence and one note that she had on this uh, was uh, just James and uh, that was the most meaningful she she highlighted one little portion the one jamesian sentence as you wrote james beside it and that comparison is has my ego still living off of that um it's been like a i think a, a year ago almost maybe 10 months uh, but still still makes me smile every single time i think about that uh tiny little comparison but um portrait of the lady uh is probably the first book of his i read um i the first book... I Actually, no. The first book of Henry James I read was Turn of the Screw. I read it in high school. My brother had... Uh, older brother had got it assigned from his university. So he just had it lying around the house when the course was done. And I just... um i read it it was just like a collection of books and uh, uh stories and would turn of the stru- screws one of them and i remember uh googling like it's, it's, it was so fucked up it was so weird so creepy uh it's a ghost story uh he's not a, he doesn't write ghost stories he usually writes really um intricate uh social uh, in, emotional books about like uh arranged marriages and whatnot uh like uh proposals and stuff like that it's it's it, high society life and um, in, uh, the transatlantic, uh, uh, kind of community, uh, right, in that, in that late, uh, 19th century, early 20th century, is what he usually writes about, but Turn of the Screw is, um, the, a ghost story, and I remember googling Henry James, and I saw a picture of him, uh, and it was so fucking creepy, I was like, maybe, 16 17 years yeah 16 years old and um i just read turn and screw look up a picture of henry james see those weird eyes and then i just thought i'm never reading anything by this guy ever again ever again uh what the fuck and then years later i read portrait of a lady and i'm like who the hell is this henry james guy this is an amazing book I gotta read more, and I look up his list of works. I see *Turn of the Screw*. I'm like, "Oh shit, it's that fucking creep." Oh wow, I didn't realize he was so good. I still haven't reread *Turn of the Screw*, but I think I've read everything else. uh, But his my favorite uh, are the Aspern Papers. It's fucking the closest he gets to being funny. Like Henry James might have like one or two jokes in a book. Um, no, no, sorry, one joke every two or three books, Uh, and it's usually like. Either about Jews, really racist, uh, like or anti Semitics, Either about the Jews or the Italians or whatnot. There's um one book, The Golden Bowl, has the weirdest plot. Like a lot of those plots, uh, books, uh, novels uh, from Henry James's contemporaries are um, about relationships that are s- scandalous but aren't by today's standards. Like Daisy Miller, uh, Henry a. James' book is a, uh, a novella. It's about a girl who spends time with an Italian while she's on vacation, right? It's, like, not not that big a deal, but eh. Um, the Golden Bowl, though, is, like, I felt scandalized after reading that. I felt like I had to take a shower uh, when I was reading that book. The central relationship um, is the a girl, um, so there's a couple. Um, a guy meets a girl, he's really eh enthusiastic about it, uh, meeting her, and uh, comes to find out that uh, he had a past flame, and that past flame is best friends with uh, the girl he's uh, about to marry. He could not have married that past flame for uh, financial reasons at the time. She didn't have enough of a dowry. Uh, He didn't have the means, so they just couldn't live a comfortable life together, so it was just out of the cards they had to ha- push that out as like a childish fantasy and uh pursue more mature marriages um so he ends up hooking up with marrying the uh the friend um, she did not know though the friend is not aware that her husband her now husband and uh her friend are past lovers right uh, in an attempt to kind of keep her close um, they arrange so that the friend marries the uh, f- widowed father of the the daughter, right the, the the girl, right the wife. So we're now in a situation in which she is her, she's uh, now her friend's stepmother, uh, and she begins cheating on her husband with her son-in-law. So, it's a very scandalous story. I think the one I read most recently that I really liked uh, is uh, The Spoils of Poynton uh, by Henry James. It should definitely make a movie, but I know that a lot of his uh, books have been turned into movies. Uh, but The Spoils of Poynton definitely, if it has not been made into one, it should be. Um, I do, my favorite period of uh, r- writing would be late 18th early 19th century um russian like everything uh between Gogol and the communist revolution pretty much uh is um is i what i go for it's i I think the i i I, you'd be hard-pressed i think to find any period of any country's history in which they produced as many great writers in a shorter period of time as Russia did in that era. Like the, you might have to go back to like Greece around the time of the Peloponnesian War when you had like, um, you know, Aristophanes and uh, uh, Sophocles and all these kicking around within like what 30, 40 years of each other. Um, um, you would have you would be hard pressed to uh, find. Uh, find any, like, fruitful, like, any period that's uh, vibrant, I think, um, Dostoevsky's definitely my favorite, um, he is just so delightfully fucked up, some of his, he he is, like, um, um, described by Trotsky as a febrile, uh, like, uh, epileptic, uh, reactionary, which is, I mean, there's some validity to that, uh, he was epileptic, and he's very reactionary, Uh, but, um, although, like, uh, kind of like Dante, where I don't believe, uh, I don't subscribe to many of his uh, overall, um, yeah, I don't subscribe to his philosophy overall, but he uh, has a lot of very solid critiques, Uh, he's very funny, Um, he is very good at depicting, I think, the, um, yeah, he's very good at depicting egotism, Um, and I love egotists, right, the different uh, manifestations of egotism um, nobody does it well, better uh, than dostoevsky uh, like the um, notes from underground where the guy just invites himself to uh, farewell dinner um, funny stuff uh, it's surprisingly funny I think um, not he doesn't uh, I think the only other time he made me laugh was um, and um the demons um i believe is the name or the book about some weird socialist plot uh to burn down this uh town um right i forget the exact plot of it but there's like this literary quadrille where the revolutionaries do have this elaborate uh little prank and it's um it did. It, 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 it I think it was the only time he ever attempted to write uh, something humorous, and he did succeed. So it's one for one. Uh, I had to give it. I don't like usually authors who attempt humor and don't do it well. I feel like you know, um, as a person who tries to be funny, like I know, you, like nobody's going to be funny all the time. Uh, I know, like uh, you're going to be throwing things out, seeing what hits. Right. Anybody who's followed me on Twitter knows that there's going to be like a, you know, no not and they're not all going to hit. However uh, in a novel, when you're writing a book, I feel like you should have, uh, enough, um, respect for your, uh, readership to kind of remove them, uh, mediocre jokes or try to make the jokes as funny as you can. Cause you have like in a tweet or something, that's like a moment right? you, you have a thought, you send it out. Okay. The thought's not funny. The thought could have had been polished, but it's a tweet, you know, stand-up comedy. That's, you know, something, it, it, it takes its form on its own after uh, a few performances, so it's kind of accepted that, you know, maybe the first iteration of a joke's not going to be that good. But in a fucking novel, when you have, like, all the time in the world almost, all the time you want, uh, to churn out, like, mediocre jokes is, like, unacceptable for me. Um, that's why, like, I, I've, still, like, no matter what, I, I don't take bad tweets to the heart. Uh, I like, doing bad in stand-up, of course, not going to feel good. But, uh, the one, it's just, I pride myself on at least, you know, at least my book is funny. You can say what you want about my stand-up. And you can say what you want about my tweets. Um, You can say what you want about this podcast. But at least the book, the book is funny, all right? And these guys, like, um, I feel like uh, the the one, the biggest offender, I'd say, is like Salman Rushdie, where it's like a lot of attempted jokes, jokes that could have been funny that's what bothers me about Salman Rushdie it's like oftentimes these premises could have been funny if he had put more thought into it but it's just that the first mildly amusing thought in that pop occurred to him was just thought of as good enough right uh, so he just pops that in without like trying to squeeze all the comedic potential out of that out of that right i feel like you have to do that and uh jane austen is another one i call it rushing a joke if there's a p- potential joke premise in a book that it fails because it has not been honed well enough is uh uh rushing a joke um going back though um the russians tolstoy um his war and peace of course everyone has to read that book Anna Kay, uh, I can't pronounce the last name, so I'm not even going to try Anna Kay. Um, I remember, distinctly remember, that uh, when I got to the end of that book, uh, it was so intense that, um, so jarring, like it was so, I was so riveted reading it uh, that my hands began to sweat and they started to, the sweat started to corrode the binding i have the paperback um so by the time i like uh i i stopped reading the first time i read it uh the book the spine was like mostly white uh, just destroyed because uh of my sweat that's how uh, riveting that book is like he is um he is so good at um he's so insightful emotionally insightful that i feel like if he was. If you're like an elevator ride with Leo Tolstoy, by the time uh, he got out of that elevator ride with you, he'd be able to like sum you up in a in a, a paragraph. Um, yeah, he he has like a Haji Murad um, incredible incredible book. I think that might be my favorite thing that he wrote. No, definitely not. No, it's Anna But he has some good stuff. Uh, Death of Ivan Ilyich is a a good one. But the Russians, though, you should. Um, The so I would gravitate towards the funnier Russians, um, for the most part. That's the ones I would recommend, like Gogol, um, uh, Pushkin. Um, can't go wrong with those two. Um, like the yeah, Dead Souls is uh, by Gogol is hilarious. If you want to learn about Russian lit, uh, that's the place you start, I I think. Um, yeah, Uh, they have a type of book, a genre of book called The Superfluous Men, which, like the Pricky novel, I believe is also really, has lots of parallels. Because, like, you have now, we have, like, a lot of hucksters, con men, grifters, uh, people trying to get that, um, some of that income inequality, you know, trying to stabilize that income inequality a little bit on their own by stealing from the rich, uh, which, you know, more power to them. Those are the Picaros, We have those. But we have also the um, Superfluous Men, which is, like, um... Egotistical guys who don't do anything uh, except stroke their own egos all day and just uh, live. Uh, yeah, Russian aristocrats, bored Russian aristocrats who uh, um, spend their days coming up with uh, yeah, fantasies and uh, plots or schemes. Any number of things uh, because they don't have any purpose. They don't have any meaning. They don't actually do anything. Uh, so, uh, the various, uh, s- yeah, kind of s- situations, the, p- because it's like, a t- it's a type of, uh, personality that, uh, can manifest itself in so many different ways in so many situations that it's great to have a lot of different writers tackling it, right? Because Oblomov is a variety of superfluous men, but so is, like, um, um, it's the famous play... Eugene, Evgeny Onegin, yeah, like uh, Pushkin's uh, Evgeny Onegin, uh, of course is a different different, uh, part of that paradigm, but it's also, yeah, both superfluous men, right? Um, Both uh, products of the same warped culture, which has lots of parallels to ours, right? Uh, So I think you might, um, it's a type of genre book that you can, just yeah pick up any and read kind of like the pica- picaresque novel so i would i will i meant to talk about a uh, dream of the red chamber but i really don't think i can speak about that book intelligently until i've read it again uh and it's going to take me a while but it immediately became one of my favorite books dream of the red chamber uh chinese book um so impressed so deeply impressed by it i'm like we, it's i'm speechless uh so I hope maybe i'll, I'll Talk about that uh, at length one time, but I think this has been enough enough for one day. Uh, thanks again uh, for listening. Take care.